I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa D. Simone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the 2023 mid-year meeting of the American Taxation Association. In February of 2023, intrepid tax nerds from around the globe descended on Washington, D.C. for the annual meeting of the American Taxation Association. This research conference features academic papers by accountants, lawyers, and economists, an opportunity to interact with practitioners, and events dedicated to best teaching practices. In today's episode, we discuss our personal highlights from this year's conference. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. Every four years, we find ourselves in our nation's capital with a bunch of other tax nerds. We're going to highlight for you all today a couple of interesting papers, but B, outside of the research, tell me, what stuck out to you this year about the conference? Um, I would say the fact that on Thursday when we landed, it was 80 degrees, and on Saturday at 1 o'clock, it was snowing. Yeah, you, you took my big highlight as well, so screw you. We're done. Podcast over, listeners. <laughs> this is what happens when we go off script. I can't say the food. I mean, it stuck out, but not in a good not way. Not in a good way. I ate the worst croissant. Of, I'm not even going to call it a croissant. Yeah. Whatever that thing was. It was a croissant-shaped roll. Yes. That was very hard and very dry. And also a, a questionable tea <laughs> situation. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. But it's very – It's. I'm just going to point out, it's very us to, to go anywhere and talk about the food. It's like good or bad, it's kind of what we – in on. Absolutely. I was going to say the last time that we did a conference roundup was after the NHH conference yeah. in Norway in May, where the breakfast buffet was, stole the show. I mean, a thing of beauty. Yeah. This, Still have dreams about it. This was not a no. thing of beauty. No. And as always, it's great to see people. This is our second year back in person after the pandemic. And last year, I think we had sort of like a hybrid. Yeah. So um, not everybody was here, yeah. and a lot of people were still masked up and being cautious. And this weekend, we threw all caution to the wind. Not really, but it was nice to see a lot of people, a lot more people here, and to actually see pe people's faces again. Yes, and speaking of NHH, we saw several of our European colleagues um, at the conference, which is just really wonderful to make it a more international conference. Yeah, it was a really strong European showing, which was fantastic to see. All right, so uh, enough hating on the hotel food. I lied. I'm going to hate on the hotel food. Go. So we sat down at lunch. Yeah. And I often choose the vegetarian option at lunch to avoid the conference chicken. Because you're a masochist. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they just plopped a plate of food down in front of me with no explanation. And I leaned over to you and I said, do you remember the days when people would serve you food and tell you what they were feeding you? I really enjoyed the moment where the really sweet PhD student, yes! two people over, was handed a cheesecake for dessert despite his sticker saying vegan. And then the alternative was a plate of fruit. Oh, poor guy got melon. Yes. He yeah. looked at me and said, this is what I had for breakfast. Yeah. So yeah, we're not very accommodating to the people with the uh, non-traditional eating habits. True. We decided that my lunch was a phyllo dough pouch full of eggplant caponata. Mm -hmm. But that's really just an educated guess. It could have been anything. All right. So now I'm done talking about the food. Okay. And we're going to highlight a couple of papers that stuck out to us as pretty interesting. And I'd say that if we had to come up with a theme for the two papers we selected, it would be that sometimes policies are made with all of the best intentions at heart, 
but they can have some unfortunate, unintended consequences, some of which um, relate to like real business decisions, not fake paper transactions. You're looking at me and all my income shifting research. All Thank you your, for that. All of your fake paper fake transactions. Paper transactions. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but just backing up for a second, you know, we had four papers that were accepted into the conference um, for the journal. And then there were, uh, I think I heard 30 papers presented throughout the following day oh, wow. of sessions, which so 34 papers, um, all really high quality. Yep. Um, and that Good was pretty awesome. So we're just highlighting a couple. But the point being, there were some really, really great papers here. And a lot of them way too many that we could cover in our little podcast. Yes, absolutely. So we really did just try to pick two um, that were interesting. I think on topics that we haven't necessarily seen before, so right. a little bit off the beaten path. Right. Um, and that tied kind of nicely into this theme. Okay, so the first paper is on certain laws that have been passed by U.S. states that make it harder on patent trolls. And I just like to say patent trolls, mm -hmm. so that's another reason why we chose this paper. So we've often talked about how my visual imagery is different than your visual imagery. <laughs> yes. So when you hear the phrase patent troll, what image does that conjure up in your mind? So I'm tainted by Brian Wenzel, who gave an excellent discussion of the paper mm -hmm. um, and showed the little troll dolls. Yes. Thank you, Brian. I see Brian Wenzel and I. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So the idea behind patent trolls is that some groups out there will patent some technologies or buy up a bunch of patents, not for the purpose of actually producing anything with those patents, but just so that they can sue real active businesses for patent infringement at some point down the line. Right. So again, these companies aren't buying the patents with an eye to marketing anything themselves. They just want to profit from lawsuit, hence the name trolls. Mm. So to curb this really kind of annoying practice, some states have passed laws that make it harder for these patent trolls to make patent infringement claims, which seems totally reasonable. And I can't imagine that this has any kind of unintended negative consequence. Uh-huh. It does. One potential problem is that it's well known that companies use intellectual property to shift income from... What, what was I just calling that? Made up? Made a fake paper. Fake paper. Shifting? Transactions. Fake. Sure. Whatever. Yes. So they shift income from high-tax locations to low-tax locations because they can basically very easily pick up and move this intellectual property into the low-tax location and then attribute a whole bunch of profits to that intellectual property and save a bunch of taxes. And that's exactly the setting that the author of this paper uses to examine the, I'll call them unintended effects of these anti-patent troll laws on corporate tax avoidance because this income shifting is a form of tax avoidance. Yes. So Charles Lee is a fourth-year doctoral student in accounting at the University of California, Irvine. He'll be on the market next year looking for an academic job, so keep an eye out. And Charles posits that with more protections to corporate innovation, firms will uh, innovate more. Yes. So they'll be better able to shift income from high-tax states into low-tax states, which means that they can end up avoiding more state income tax. Yeah, so Charles examines the state tax avoidance of companies following the implementation of these anti-patent trolling laws. He finds that tax avoidance generally does go up among firms doing business in those states. He also finds that state tax revenues go down. So when I said negative unintended consequence, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Because from the corporation's perspective, tax avoidance goes up, which means they're saving money. Correct. But the flip side of that means that state tax revenues go down. 
So state tax authorities introduced these anti-patent trolling laws to try to do something helpful and in the process took money out of their own pockets, essentially. Right. Um, So what I like about this paper is I'm always excited when researchers are creative and they find a way to take a law or a setting that is not maybe obviously related to income tax, but can connect the dots and plausibly get you to an outcome that is tax related. Yeah. I like that about this paper, too. Um, I also like saying patent trolls, as as I said before. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to go back to what you were saying about how the beauty or the harm of the unintended consequences in the eye of the beholder. Because this one, I think, it raises just a lot of interesting questions. So you pass this legislation to try to help protect innovation. We like innovation. Mm -hmm. We want to encourage innovation. A consequence of that is now we're collecting less in state revenues because it, that innovation helps companies pay less tax. So which is it that we want, right? Because in the long term, if, if, if we think ahead long enough, yeah. if we generate enough of that innovation, it's kind of this all boats will rise philosophy that will generate more revenues in general. Yes. Like higher incomes out there, more productivity, and, and that should increase our state tax revenues. It's just maybe we're taking a short term hit to that. But we don't know. We don't have decades since these laws have been passed. So I think this paper is a really interesting contribution to this space, but it also opens the door for future work in this area. And that's exactly what you want. That's a recipe for success when not only can you answer an interesting question on your own, but then you leave questions for future research to address as well. And I think you're 100% right. If the innovation is solid and it's working in expectation as it should, then that company should have higher profits, right? which you said could potentially lead to higher incomes for their workers, all sorts of increased tax collection. The trick that you said, though, is it's not clear if and when those payoffs are going to come. Right. we're going to talk about deals with certain rules and regulations in place that restrict the use of losses that have been incurred by certain companies once they are acquired. And this paper is by Ana Teresa Burla, Elisa Kazi, Barbara Stage, and Johannes Vogt. It's a global setting. They're looking at the 28 member states of the European Union and Norway. But I think to set the stage for the paper, we can actually talk about U.S. tax rules. Okay. In the U.S., if one company acquires another company, which happens all the time for completely legitimate business reasons. Sure. And it so happens that the company you buy has accumulated a bunch of tax losses. Okay. So they've lost money for many years and they have what we call a net operating loss carry forward. Okay. In the U.S., there are limits to how much of that tax loss the consolidated group can use every year post-merger. The reason is because Congress wanted to prevent what they call trafficking in losses. Right. I could be out there with a bunch of profits. I've got a bunch of money in my pocket. I see a target over there that I don't really care about, Mm -hmm. a company that I could live with or without, but they have a whole bunch of these losses stacked up that I could use if I acquire them to offset my massive profits. Yes. Except I can't because Congress is going to limit my ability to use them. 
Yes. And so we don't want companies doing things just for tax purposes. Right. We want them to have a substantial business purpose to whatever they're doing. Including acquisitions. Including acquisitions. And so Congress is basically saying, that's fine. If you think you can go buy an unprofitable company and turn them around, do so. But we're going to limit the tax incentive that you have to buy up that unprofitable company. Turns out these types of regulations are pretty common. Yes. So not only do they exist across a bunch of the countries in the European Union, which is the setting of this paper, um, but the authors find up to 17 different changes in legislation over the last 20, 25 years. And it makes sense, like we just talked about, you don't want to incentivize companies to buy up loss corporations just for the heck of it. Right. And if a company does decide that they want to buy a loss corporation, these rules that the authors refer to as anti-loss trafficking rules, they're kind of a revenue-based protecting element. It's helping the tax authority protect the revenue base a little bit. Because remember, if you've never been profitable, the government doesn't owe you any money. Mm -hmm. Right. Those tax losses don't actually have value until you become profitable. Mm -hmm. And so back to your example, if you started buying up all these loss firms to offset your profit, that's going to be like a sudden drain on the tax revenue of that country. Okay, so good intentions of these regulations. We're trying to prevent companies from doing things that only make sense for tax, tax purposes. And we're trying to protect our government revenues. So great intentions. And really cool setting. We've got 28 different countries. We've got 17 different changes, lots of variation in these regulations that we can play with to see what are the economic consequences of these regulations. So what do the authors find? Well, before I talk about that, of course, I want to say that somehow this is making me think that I need some sort of legislation that stops me from buying clothes on sale. Ah, you do. Right? Like, I feel like it's similar somehow. Like, I see something, it's like so cheap. It's like, how can I not buy that thing? Yes. Even if I don't have a valid wardrobe purpose. Even if you don't need wardrobe purpose another pair of joggers. For buying that thing. Yes. Exactly. Um, no, but what you just mentioned, the 17 changes, the different time periods that these yes. things are changing across different countries, it's very unlikely that all of these changes across all of these countries and all of these different years are related to some other confound that could be explaining the results. Right. And they look at a bunch of different outcomes and they find some really interesting things. Okay, so... I would think the obvious place to look would be, do we see fewer acquisitions? Yep. And that's what they find. So they look at M&A activity and they see that regulations limiting the transfer of these tax losses does reduce the number of deals that go down. And one thing that I like, and I know this is, you know, a a matter of preference, but I always like it when you lead with the result that's like expected, like this should be happening. Because it lets you know that it's uh, that these laws have teeth, that people are paying attention to them. Right. So I like when you kind of set the table with a result, like everything's working the way that I expect it to. It's kind of a validation yes. exercise. We're yeah. not in bizarro land. Yeah. What's pretty cool, though, is all the other stuff that they look at. One of the things that we talked about with Anthony Welsh. Yes. Loss offset should increase risk taking. Yeah. Yes. So Anthony's dissertation was on how states basically pass different laws that would allow you to use losses out of state or within your state, but across different parts of your business to offset profits. And so that's kind of allowing firms to mitigate the risk of loss a little bit more immediately than if they had to carry those losses forward to a future year within that exact jurisdiction. So the loss offset should make companies more willing to actually incur those losses because they could get that immediate Mm -hmm. benefit. 
And so it could increase risk taking. And that's what he finds in the U.S. state setting. So I love this, that we're able to draw this connection because what they're finding is basically the opposite. When you take away the opportunity for a target to share their losses with a potential acquirer, the flip side of Anthony's dissertation would suggest that risk-taking by the potential target should go down. And that is actually exactly what they find. They find that there is a reduction in uh, risk-taking and that that in turn leads to a decrease in industry productivity. Yep. Um, So that risk-taking, one manifestation of that would be uh, research and development activities that could lead to patents and trademarks and other types of intellectual property. They choose patents and find fewer patent applications following these changes that make these loss-sharing rules more restrictive. So again, you can maybe start to see why we picked these two papers. Patent trolls is looking at how um, some specific legislation can increase productivity, Mm -hmm. more patents, more intellectual property, more risk sharing. This is a situation where a tax regulation is actually decreasing productivity and they're finding fewer patent applications, less risk taking, less industry productivity. And I really like the originality of both of these studies. as we said before, but also I like the the studies that kind of stuck out to us at this conference. One was from a PhD student representing the future of academia mm-hmm. here in the U.S. Yep. And another is from a fantastic set of European co-authors who, as we said, this weekend, it was so nice to see researchers from around the globe coming together and interacting. Um, it was a very multinational conference, and I think that's a great direction for us to go in. Couldn't agree more. And I really also like studies like this because um, it's a really great way to maybe speculate what might happen if we change certain tax laws in the U.S. based off of what's happened in other countries. Right. And so one of the questions that came up when Barbara presented her paper was, are there any situations where um, countries have relaxed these anti-loss trafficking rules. And when there was the relaxing, did you see an increase Mm -hmm. in risk-taking? Did you see an increase in M&A activity? And if we did see that, then that would maybe spark some discussion in the U.S. about maybe um, eliminating some of our uh, anti-loss trafficking rules. Hopefully we would learn from policies implemented around the world. Hopefully. You would like to think. Hopefully. So it is now time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, would you like to start us off with some good, or else I'm just going to complain about food more, which I don't want to okay, do. Okay, so the good. Um, super awesome, as we said, to be in person with so many great people. Um, it's kind of fun to be in D.C. every four years yep. for this conference. And um, I thought one really nice element of the conference this year was uh, there was a new initiative to try to reach out to some of our colleagues who are less able to attend the conference um, because of the funding that they have from their schools. And so there was actually a fellowship to encourage a more diverse and inclusive set of participants. Two people won the fellowship this year and conference fees were actually waived for a couple of the other applicants. I love seeing this diversity initiative and want to see more of it. So we are soliciting sponsors for the fellowship. Talk to us, taxnerds at gmail.com, if you have any ideas. No, it's seriously great because you and I have been privileged enough to always be affiliated with universities where we get a decent, I mean, it's not huge, but a decent enough research budget that we can attend conferences and a $250 registration fee and the flight is not uh, a barrier. 
right. to attending those conferences. But at a lot of places for PhD students, especially, um, they don't have that same amount of funding. And so I thought this was a really great, really great initiative because when we're talking about this is our sections like premier conference and you don't want to see um, financial resources be a barrier for anybody. And you don't want people to have to pay out of pocket to come. No, no. I also have to say a good is uh, this ATA marked our 12th anniversary of our first ATA, which was here in Washington, D.C. That's right. 2011. Authors who jogged together, published together. It's absolutely true. 12 years of evidence on that. I don't think we've been jogging together since, though. No. Once. We did a, we did the Capital 10 We had like a good year something. of jogging together. Yeah. All right. All right. On to the bad. And I'm going to skip the bad because we already spent a lot of time on the bad, the weather and the food. And that leaves us with the ugly. Um, I'm usually pretty good at this, as our listeners know. I'm struggling this episode because ATA is always great. Yeah. I don't have any complaints about... Anything other than the food and the weather. And did we mention the food? I mean, all I need to make me happy. Oh, okay. Sorry. The chocolate chip cookies at break were were delicious. Okay. We're back on the good. Sorry. We're back on the food. We're supposed to be on the ugly. Ugly. Okay. Um, No, I'm, I'm really struggling. You and I have both been part of the committees that plan the conference. A Mm. ton of work goes into it. People say over and over again how what a really great group of people the ATA is and how just like caring and committed and dedicated the members are. And it is just 100 percent true. Agreed. Um, So, I mean, there's just really nothing to quibble about when it comes to the conference itself. Okay, I have a quibble. Go on. It's going to be an entire year before we're all together again in person. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I guess I can think of one other ugly thing. Do go on. Which is that um, it was announced that Terry Shovel and this was going to be his last mm, ATA. Yeah. Terry is just a legend in not just the tax research community, but in the research community yeah. in general. Um, and yes, it was announced at lunch that this is going to be his last ATA. Maybe not ugly isn't the right word, but a really bittersweet aspect of conferences the last couple of years, I'd say, is... Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of changeover. I mean, it's exciting to see the young new people come in, but it's also been hard to see the people, some of the people we've really looked up to in our 12 years in this profession, um, retiring. Some have passed away over the last few years. Um, you know, it's just, it's a reminder of how lucky we were to have the mentors and the role models that we've had. Um, it's also an ugly reminder that we are in fact 12 years older. Lies. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.